and welcome back to It's a Musical Podcast, the podcast show where I force my boyfriend to watch musicals he should have seen by now and then we talk about them. I am the boyfriend. And I'm Drew. And today's isn't completely a Christmas episode but touches on Christmas. It is a Christmas episode. Well, the musical itself yeah. isn't a Christmas musical but is associated with Christmas Yeah. in the same way that It's a Wonderful Life isn't a Christmas film, but has very, like, heavy Christmas connotations. I mean, sure, the... in that It's a Wonderful Life revolves around a Christmas angel, but... Well, It's a Wonderful Life. I don't like that film. I, I don't think we should get into that. <laughs> I know, but I was going to say It's a Wonderful Life. It's not like the whole plot takes place on Christmas. For me, that's Right, what... similarly with this. Yeah, that, for me, is kind of the defining feature mm-hmm. that I would say 90% of the plot needs to take place Christmas Yeah. for it to be a Christmas film or have Santa, mm-hmm. you know, those characters. So even if it was Santa in July, it would be a Christmas film because it's kind of dealing with Christmassy characters. Yeah. So this one is Christmas, but not completely... Not completely, no. However, this is where one of the most famous Christmas songs ever originates. Have yourself a very Merry Christmas. Merry Little Christmas, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm aware Judy Garland sung that one. Mm-hmm. So was that written for this and then it's become more popular from We're there? We're going to get on to that. That's very cool. First of all, obviously you know Judy Garland is in this. Yes. What else do you know about this musical? Clang, clang, clang went the trolley. Yeah, we have the trolley song. Which you know from The Simpsons? Or Family Guy. <laughs> I know I know for a fact that it's in The Simpsons. Because Rosie O'Donnell sings it on a plane into space. There we that go. is exclusively what I know from The Simpsons. I, that feels like a very weird Simpsons episode. I don't know if I like... It actually... really was. I think it was like a, like a weird dream episode or something. The world's exploding and they will have to get... On so it's probably a, a spaceship. It's probably a treehouse of horror then. Yeah, but it, I know it was Christmas time. I think, yeah. and they get on this spaceship, and in order to avoid Rosie O'Donnell singing the trolley song, Homer opens one of the windows. And yeah, that's, that's his head explode. That is a treehouse of horror episode, yeah. okay. undoubtedly. I don't know much more about this one. <laughs> I I know we referenced the fact that we were watching Deck the Halls the other mm-hmm. day, and. You saw a snippet, you saw of, a snippet yeah. of of this. I've always wondered what film he was watching because that yeah. girl is so annoying. But like they're crying. It's not like acting crying. It feels like somebody's just told her something horrible and they are literally filming her actual reaction because it doesn't feel like acting crying. It feels like she's actually like hysterical, breaking down mm. crying. See, that's one of my issues with It's a Wonderful Life is that the kids in it, are not good enough actors to be as upset as they are yeah. in certain scenes, and it just makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> well, this is it. Because obviously you... this is from the 40s. Well, and we saw it with the very first Annie film, that even in the 70s, the kids were doing their own stunts. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if there are stories of child actors who are like, yeah, the reason I'm crying like that is because they threatened to murder my mum. So, fun fact, oh, somebody did try to kill this child on set. Jeez. Oh. And we will get into that. Is that what triggers this response? Is this them trying to get better acting or is it like, wow, okay. We'll talk about it in a minute. 
So you know nothing about the plot of this. Is it a romance? Of course it's a romance. Because the whole meet me in St. Louis. So it's like, is it like a year from now, if you still love me, meet me in St. Louis and we'll talk. Is that kind of like the point? I'm not telling you, but okay. I like that as a, a summary. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, that that's essentially the most I could kind of guess about it. Mm-hmm. And then the little girl crying is what? The little girl crying is because either they're breaking up and she's like, no, but you must be together. Or she's crying because they are getting together and she's like, but I wanted him to marry someone else. What, the, the like eight-year-old child? Is she eight? She's a small child. I thought she, she was, was little. like... Yeah, I'd have said like four or five. Oh, wow. Okay, sure. I think you sometimes are guilty of like I have overestimating since, since becoming a teacher. Yeah, I've realised I have no concept of the age of anyone that is younger than me. Yeah. I cannot tell. Which is funny because children have no concept of age of people older. No, because as soon as you're a teacher, you're over forty. Yeah, well, which is this endlessly is, funny. When I first got into teaching, I, I was teaching at a school where my youngest brother was a year 11 student. So he was in his final year at the school. Mm-hmm. And this was February. So he's going into his final like four months. Yeah. And I just happened to be in a class somewhere. One of his books was laid out. And our surname isn't a very common surname. So one of the kids says, is this your son? My brother's five years younger than me. <laughs> I'd be very worried if it was your son. They have no concept no. of age in the same way you don't have concept of little children's no. age. I can like... There's babies and toddlers and then children, yeah. which is anyone between the ages of five and like 18. Yeah, I don't think the girl in this is eight. I think she's way too hysterical and way too upset. But obviously, I'm really basing remember. this off Matthew Broderick watching. Yeah, it's been a while since I've seen this film. Yeah. And it is a very Christmassy, nostalgic movie for me, but... Like you say, no concept of age at all. Is this going so. to be a movie that some of the themes or maybe some of the representations haven't aged well? That you might be watching it, having not seen it for a while, and being like, wow, I misremembered this. Probably, because this was filmed and released in 1944. So the war's still going on at the time. Yeah. And... It just, it was released November 22nd, 1944. Yeah. It was released in St. Louis before it was released anywhere else. You would though. Yeah. Of you, course, you would. Definitely. Yeah, if, if, if you've got a, a film where a certain place is so integral to the plot and the title, mm-hmm. you are going to debut it as close to that place as possible. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. So, this is an MGM movie. This was their best-selling musical of the 40s. Cool. Yeah, which is pretty impressive. I mean, the first four years, understandably. Mm-hmm. But if it continued that trajectory through the next six years, that's yep. very impressive. Yeah, and it was the second highest grossing movie of 1944, which is pretty decent for a movie musical. Yeah. Because as we know... Movie they don't do well. don't do but that I much. guess given you know what the world is like at the time, mm-hmm. you're releasing it in November for that Christmas push. It's yep. going to be that sort of thing that people are going to watch to try and boost their spirits when they are at a, a very low period. Yeah. In 1994, 
it was deemed eligible to go into the Library of Congress yeah. as a culturally significant movie, which I think is accurate for this film. And it is broken down into a series of seasonal vignettes. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So it's very much like Holiday. Yes. <laughs> to make a modern comparison. That movie was surprisingly right. good. I know that movie's had a lot of hate online. I don't get why. I, I mean, it's not going to win any Oscars. No, it's trash, but that's what I want at Christmas. And I think people went into it the expectation of being a Christmas film. It's not a Christmas film. No. I just thought it was a nice, ditzy rom-com. Like, yeah. you can put it on in the background for an hour and a half, two hours, and you just mm-hmm. let your mind melt. Not one to watch with your mum, and no. I'm glad we stopped that. Certainly not. But I, you know, I, I liked it. From my perspective, it's what I needed at the time. Yeah. So this is very holidayed in that we're going to go over a period of time, which makes me think it's more... You know that song, Christmas Wrapping? It's Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, gonna miss this one this year. And it's talking about how... How her whole year's been. But also, like, there's been these moments where she and this guy could have got together, but, like, she got sunburn or forgot lunch. And basically by Christmas they end up and it's like, oh, you forgot cranberries too? Sure. Is it kind of like that where we're possibly having yeah. moments where these two characters come together? This will they, won't they? Maybe they miss each other, mm-hmm. but it finally culminates with meet me in St. Louis. And and yeah. Yeah, for sure. Cool. So, you know, we have Judy Garland. Yes. Obviously. We also have, playing the little girl, Margaret O'Brien, who ha- was in four films in this year. Cool. And had sort of rapidly risen to stardom as a child actor. She was in the original Jane Eyre as the little girl in that. Like she was well, very, very well known. And believing that because she'd suddenly become a big star, her mum tried to get more money out of MGM for this movie. Yeah, that's understandable. Because her character when they were reading the script and talking to the director about it, they realised her character was really integral to the plot and they were like, we should be being paid more money. Which I think is fair. I think actually if she's putting more effort in and you've potentially been undersold and you are going to market this film around her, then you've got every right to say... Yeah. 10% more, please. So instead of just being like, yeah, sure, MGM went... Well, no, if you, you're not going to do it for that price, we'll cast somebody else. And they announced the casting of Sharon McManus instead of O'Brien. They announced that she was going to replace her okay. in this film. And McManus was the daughter of the studio electrician. Oh, wow. They went so far as to fit the costumes to her. And they were trying to make it look like they were really going to go ahead with her, despite the fact that they still wanted Margaret O'Brien. Yeah. But they were hoping that that would make her mum accept their terms. Kind of like, we're doing this with or without Mm -hmm. you. Do it our way. Yeah. However, MGM weren't willing to follow through on casting this child because she was their electrician's daughter. She wasn't. They literally. So what happened is the girl's mother storms out and then the electrician is is in the corner like fixing and i guess i've got a daughter by the way you know she'd be perfect and he's like she's hired basically and then he meets the the girl realizes she can't sing dance act whatever mm. and he's like damn i hope she folds before we do mm-hmm. so and who folds she in didn't. the end mgm folded and they increased her salary good 
However, while the production was being filmed, McManus climbed up. The, the guy, the electrician, climbed up a ladder on And he set, tried to kill her. And he tried to kill this child by dropping a light, like one of those big fixture lights, onto her. It missed her by inches. And he was arrested and uh, admitted to a mental institution. So this is the problem, isn't it? Like MGM <laughs> He's like games straight up trying to kill a child. Yeah, but obviously not defending him. That's reprehensible. Like, yeah. Absolutely abhorrent behavior oh completely however you like... can completely understand where what's built up in him to make him want to do that because he's you know been led mm-hmm. on by the studio yeah they he's probably got a very didn't explain to him the no, situation he's also got to now explain that to his daughter who's probably at home devastated mm-hmm. and blaming him because if you hadn't got me the job you'd never have got the hopes up maybe there's issues with the wife as well for that mm-hmm. jeez yeah Jeez, that's a scary story, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So, have yourself a merry little Christmas. Yes, was... I plan to. <laughs> Me too. Was originally a sort of folk-esque song. Yeah. In that it was a song that was known, it had been previously written. However, its debut, so to speak, was in this film. So it's popularisation in yes. media. Mm-hmm. And it has some different lyrics originally because originally <laughs> it's a song about making sure that you live in the moment because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow because as you say we're in a war here yeah and Judy Garland refused to sing the original lyrics to this song because she didn't want to sing about depressing like you might die tomorrow lyrics to a little girl so the original lyric is have yourself a merry little <laughs> which Christmas. is worse because this girl almost did die tomorrow <laughs> The original lyric is have yourself a merry little Christmas, it might be your last. <laughs> and so I actually they think I've heard that be before. Yeah. It might be your last. Yeah. Oh my days. Mm-hmm. So realistically, the, the version that I would have grown up with yeah. comes from this film. Yeah. Because the lyrics were written for Judy Garland. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, they changed a bunch of the lyrics in the song and then they changed the version you probably know is the Frank Sinatra one because he changed a bunch of the lyrics again. The one that you hear at the end of Home Alone after he's defeated the Wet Bandits. I believe that is the Frank Sinatra lyrics, yeah. Okay, so everything you're telling me suggests that this is a movie musical first and foremost. It wasn't a stage show first that was adapted for the screen. Yes, so it's based off of a book. But like Singing in the Rain, did the songs exist for it before? This is a semi-jukebox musical. So they're songs from the time, like popular songs? They from are the songs time. from... Well, so this movie is set between 1903 and 4. Okay. And all of the songs are from that time period. Okay, cool. Because so, it's like a year in the... No, life. but I like that. Hmm. Me I, too. I, I like it. If we're going to go back and we're going to do historical musicals, mm-hmm. I like it when you use a musical the time to to, you know you could change the composition of them somewhat Mm -hmm. but you know if we're going to do someday we're going to have a musical about 2020 Mm -hmm. you know in the year 2055 it'd be nice if they used songs from 2020 and wrote the music all in a style around that yeah around the narrative of these songs and fit Mm -hmm. the songs in the narrative like i mean 2020 the musical is just going to be ratatouille the musical yes 
which is incredible. I still am hoping that Twitter will work on Flushed Away the musical. I don't want a Flushed Away musical. No, because... Because they would cast Hugh Jackman, and I don't need that. Yeah, but, I mean, I don't need TikTok that. got the superior rat musical, but mm-hmm. Twitter still needs its rat musical. Besides, if we have <laughs> flushed away the musical, mm. we might get Ian McKellen. Ian McKellen in Flushed yeah, Away? Yeah, he plays the Frog King. Does he? Yeah. Oh my god, I haven't seen... We need to watch that film again. I love that film. So we have a bunch of existing songs. Okay. So we have Skip to My Loo. Skip, skip, skip to my loo. Yep. I know that from uh, Simpsons. Obviously, the trolley song, which you know, bang, Little Brown bang, Jug. Bang with the trolley. Little Brown Jug, I've never heard of. Little Brown Jug, how I love you. It's in recess. You do know it. Okay. Is it in it's recess or movie? No, it's definitely sung by. They have John Jacob Jingle Mikey? Hans Schmidt. Okay. In recess. Probably, probably, yeah. I'll be mm-hmm. familiar with them. A lot of Mikey's songs are very similar. Mm-hmm. First Noel. Old Lang Sign. The first Noel. Cool. Lots of Christmassy songs, obviously. And then we've got things like a song called Over the Bannister, which is based off of a poem from 1888, which was then adapted by Roger Edens, who was the like musical score adaption. That was his job for this movie. Okay. So all of these songs were taken from other places and adapted for this movie musical. But the undercurrent score was written by Roger Edens. Okay. Mm-hmm. Has this been adapted into a stage show since? Because you mentioned there's been. Okay. Yes. Do they add new songs or is it the same songs from this? They try to keep the same songs, but then there are also new songs written for well, it. Yeah. To they... fit in, because there's not enough songs. Well, it's like Moulin Rouge, isn't it? That they've got to add a few songs to mm. fill it out. And also, I guess there's rights issues that Moulin Rouge got away with some of them, but you can't have the same rights for theatre. Yeah, absolutely. Came out in 1990 originally. Okay, wow. So it's quite a gap, like a, mm-hmm. um, a nice long gap in between it. So the musical is as old as I am. Yeah. Possibly I'm a little bit older because, (laughs) you know, probably would have premiered Christmas of 1990. Mm. And then we didn't get it in London until 2013. Okay. And it literally only ran for the Christmas period. And that was it, just that one year. Mm -hmm. So how has it been received critically then as a film? There's not much point in talking about the stage show because we might cover it someday. It's a massive success. Yes. When it was released... In America, it made $5 million. Which for its time is, Mm -hmm. especially considering the backdrop of 1944. Yep. And then its profit everywhere else was over $3 million. Cool. Then worldwide, so that's like America, Canada. Yeah. $3 million. Worldwide, it went up to $6 million. Nice. And today, apparently, it has like more than doubled that by today's standards. That's awesome. Hmm. That's pretty good. Considering its budget was a million dollars. Yeah. That's pretty good. Most of that going on the little girl's wage. Obviously the little girl's wage, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's just just such a a crazy story. And at some point we are 100% going to watch Ruthless, which is an incredible musical. Yeah. But it is basically just that. Is it just theatre moms? No, it's like theatre kids trying to kill each other for roles. Cool. It's great. But... Yeah, imagine being that 
upset about something that you're willing to kill a child because i feel like it's got nothing to do with this kid really no she's just she's like incidental he's he's probably of the opinion that if she's not in the picture his daughter gets it because she's the understudy more likely if she's not in the picture they'll cancel this film because their star died do you think he read like phantom of the opera and was like the phantom's got the great idea here completely the right idea (laughs) <laughs> yeah margaret o'brien actually got an academy award for, for this year of work cool um which is the academy juvenile award at the time nice yeah i don't know if that still exists that does not still exist it probably should but then i guess at the same time some child actors warrant being nominated for best actor mm-hmm. awards and it kind of undermines their ability if yeah. they just put them in a juvenile section. You remember stuff like this better than I do, but what is sort of the most recent child star to win a like a, an Oscar? Or a... I don't think there's... Because it's not often. Who was in Winter's Bone? Was that... I don't even know what that is. Jennifer Lawrence. I remember that she was nominated very young for an Academy Award. Hmm. Uh, but I don't actually know what the youngest one was, especially in recent memory. Your prediction for how this film is going to go is that it's just... Christmas wrapping. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. The least, plot yeah. of Christmas wrapping. I guess Judy Garland, does she have a child in this? If she's hanging around with a five to eight year old? Or you she... think in nine... You've already how said you think Judy... this is going to be a romance. But how old is Judy Garland in this? That's a really good question. This came out in 1944. So she was born in 1922. So she'd have been 21 at the time of filming. Yes. So she's probably too young to be a mother character then. Mm. And also, like you say, this is a romance. Like you've guessed that, that there's going to be a romance in this in 1940s. They're not going to be showing a single, single mother. mother so that girl must be like her sister or something mm-hmm. maybe she's adopted the sister because that has been tragedy sure who knows i you know i don't i do yeah and i'm sure a lot of people listening know and they're like oh danny Julie the garden didn't didn't want to be in this film because she didn't want to play a teenager again is she playing a lot younger then she's playing like a 17 18 year old okay so yeah she's definitely not the mother then yeah and she Basically, her, she sent her mum to MGM to be like, she doesn't want to be in this film. <laughs> Leave her alone. But she was in the film and... They sent her a copy of the script. And that convinced her. She's like, I have to be in this. Mm-hmm. Well, yep. she Based loved the script. The Maybe I will love the film. I hope so. I like it. It's just cosy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, we've got some hot chocolate. Yep. Ready for this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah, me too. So I'll catch you in about 20 minutes. Meet me in St. Louis. For sure. See you shortly. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be light. Next year all our troubles will be out of sight Once again as in olden days 
happy golden days of yore. Faithful friends who are dear to us will be near to us once more. Someday soon we all will be together if the fates allow. Until then we'll have to muddle through somehow. So have yourself a merry little Christmas now. And we are back. We have been through a year in the life. Yep, we've been to St. Louis. Yes. St. Louis. St. Louis. As we are told. Yeah. I think this is a really, really nice flow Mm -hmm. i feel like it's a weirder one yeah one of the things like i've said before on this show quite a lot is how much i like steaks and i like when there's not just for your christmas dinner no but like when there's (laughs) obviously but when there's something to kind of fight against or something to kind of overcome yeah and i was missing that from this film yeah so this movie doesn't really have like an overarching problem that they need to solve or something that they need to overcome in the modern sense. But in the time frame that this film is set in, for it to be completely centred around these female characters and to be centred around their lives and their wants and needs. Yeah. Like, these are real problems that they're facing. Oh, I agree. And I feel like it's very much like Little Women in that way. Yeah. That you've got these close-knit sisters mm-hmm. and each one of them has a different kind of struggle to overcome because of their age and their position in society. Yep. And nothing really happens, mm-hmm. but it feels right for the characters. Yeah. So it's one that I'm interested to talk about. Mm-hmm. It definitely isn't the sort of thing that I would usually go for. But we'll see if that's a bad thing or a good thing. Yeah. I really like this film. We'll talk about it. Yeah. We do have a very lovely overture to start with. Yes, we do. It's really sweet. I didn't recognise any songs as it progressed. They had a little bit of Meet Me in St. Louis in it. And a little bit of like some of the more classic songs that are in there. Yeah. I I guess maybe I didn't pick up on them. Maybe... You know, yeah. As the movie developed, mm-hmm. and this movie starts as all great films do with inglorious Technicolor, <laughs> which is how you know a movie is going to be a good film. So there's two things we both really like in our films. Yes, you have the glorious Technicolor. I just love that. I think it's fun. And one of the things I love most is when you have that transition from a photo into life. Yes. You zoom into a photo, mm-hmm. and then the sepia tone fades and it starts moving i love it and And we get that exactly in this film and that happens three or four times in this film and each time it's great yeah each of the seasons it'll be four times yeah i loved it Mm -hmm. for me that's that's a really nice thing to have yep so we meet the family the family the smith family so they're like an upper class like 
mid- well upper to do. middle class, yeah. maybe? Because they still work. Upper middle class. Yes. Yeah. We are really in first world problems, though. Yeah, this offset. is first world problems, the musical. The ketchup is too sweet. Yeah. And then it's too flat. Yeah, too sweet, too flat, too sour. Yeah. Not enough kick. Yeah. We go through trials and tribulations of ketchup. But they're not making ketchup in the way that it's Heinz ketchup. No. It's more like a soup. From, cause, well, it's still a sauce. It's a sauce that they're making because they put it in ketchup-esque bottles. But then when they have it for dinner later on, like a few scenes later, they literally is just the ketchup's in a bowl and they're just eating it like that. So it is more just like a tomato no, that's soup. that's not what it is. That was a soup. That was different. Yeah, but they were waiting for Dad to be like, what do you think of the soup? Yeah, but they put the ketchup on. They're having like a stodgy broth. Oh, I didn't see. Okay. Yeah, I know. I was going to say, like, obviously, this is 1903. Mm. So, kind of, the meal plan would be slightly different. Yeah. I know absolutely nothing about the history of ketchup. And I like to think of myself as someone who knows a lot about a lot of completely useless things. Yeah. But I know nothing about the history of ketchup. And I'm really tempted to go and find out when Heinz decided that they were going to bottle, like, thick ketchup. So. We are going into Christmas season, and Christmas yeah. season does mean we bust out the trivial pursuits. Yep. It might be worth revising ketchup facts Definitely. just to be safe. 100%. Because if we win a game of trivial pursuit just because you've done that research, it mm. will be worth it. And if the ketchup doesn't crop up, at What's least we're the... ready. I you could... are like weirdly good at trivia games. So I have to say, for a titular song, mm-hmm. in all its iterations, I did not care for Meet Me in St. Louis. The same as the dad doesn't in this film. Yeah, I didn't care for the song. Yeah. I just feel like it lacks any kind of oomph. Well, it's not like a narrative song. No, but for something being named after it, mm-hmm. it's kind of just meh. Well, the point of this song and the point of everybody singing this song is that in a year's time... We're going to have the World's we're Fair. We're going to have the World's Fair in St. Louis... And there's this song that's been written about it that everybody's singing and it's a year, literally a year away. So why is everyone singing about it? Yes. It's just to make it clear that this is a very culturally important event that these characters care about. I agree. I and I, I completely but it does go that. it does go on a little bit. I, I think, think it's cute. It's cute when Judy Garland sings, I could live without the kids singing it. I just think when we have something be a titular song, it's either going to be very important or very kind of iconic. Mm-hmm. And going back to Singing in the Rain, you could name that film anything else. This is true. But Singing in the Rain is such a good song that if you're going to name it after one of its best songs, fine. Yeah. But there's so many other better songs in this yeah. that you could name this The Boy Next Door. Or Merry Little Christmas. Yeah. Like, you could name it so many other things. Like if you want it to be exclusively a Christmas film, call it have yourself a merry little Christmas. If you want it to stand the test of time and be, you know, like watch it any time of year, you could call it You and I, you could call it Boy Next Door. Mm-hmm. I think calling it Meet Me in St. Louis, knowing that there is a song in it called Meet Me in St. Louis, that instantly raises my expectations. Yeah. I just feel like Meet Me in St. Louis was kind of flat compared to all the other songs. Sure. The only time I liked it is when Grandpa was singing it. Yeah. And that was cute. Yeah, because it's cute when he's singing. Everything he does in this film is cute. Yeah, I was hoping it'd be like a kind of relay that we start with. Is it 
Tootie singing the first song, or was it Agnes? It's Tootie to start with. Then we see... Grandpa. Grandpa singing And it. then the song ends, and then Judy Garland picks up a few. Yeah, and then later. we have Esther, which is Judy Garland's character, and Rose, who's her older sister, yes. singing it. Yeah. I and just, then Agnes sings it again later. I was expecting it to come up late and be far more important and far better. Mm. And it just was disappointing yeah fair enough <laughs> it's probably the only song i have a problem with though in this one yeah so so the whole family that we have in this film we've got the mother and father mr and mrs smith yes and they're four daughters rose esther agnes and tootie yes and tootie is a cutie she's adorable and then their son lon jr and he was Alonzo, wasn't he? That was his proper name. Yeah, and the dad's Alonzo as well. Yeah. So they just call the, the son Lon. Yeah. And Lon is going to be going off to college next year. And yeah. so is Rose, which means they're the same age. Possibly, yeah. I didn't think of that. Yeah. Is he returning to college? Or is he moving to a different college? Maybe he's going to a different college. Yeah. Yeah. I don't really understand how the old... No the old college system worked in America because yeah. I know it's changed. No, you're very good with like American culture and how it works nowadays. Not historically though. Yeah. Yeah. And we do have, I think one of my favourite characters in the household is is Grandpa. Yes, Grandpa, who is Mrs. Smith's Yes, father. that's who I took it to be because yeah. he says something about finding a husband for her at, at some point. Like he talks early on about marrying her off. Mm-hmm. We have some really good kind of additions to the family as well in the maid is yes. that katie katie the cook yes yeah she's great one of the things i really like about grandpa and i guess other male characters is how high-waisted their trousers are mm. especially grandpa like that seems like it's one of the few perks of being old is being able to wear up to you know your rib cage mm-hmm. and no one will judge you because you're old yeah one of the well, things I'm looking forward to. Men's trouser suits, you used to be high-waisted because yeah. it came from breeches, and breeches were high-waisted because yeah. you would attach them to your braces, mm. and it's braces that have got longer. Yeah. And trousers waists have got lower, which makes no sense. One of the things I do really like in this show as well is I feel like we've got a really good female voice. Yeah. I really enjoy these characters. Yes. And I enjoy the way they talk to each other as well. So there's, you know, a line having trouble with her husband being a man and all Mm -hmm. that given the time it was produced, written and released to have, I think, such a strong female voice there. Yeah. The whole like, oh, well, you know how men are. Yeah. It feels more impressive to me. Like I, I know these films existed then and obviously literature existed then. Well, considering a lot of the older musicals that I've shown you have had some not great representations of how men are treating women. Yeah. Well, especially like Oklahoma and Carousel. Like the treatment of women is quite poor in that one. And you've seen Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. You didn't like that. And I have a feeling I'm going to have similar issues when we finally get to The King and I. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Which is why I want to watch the stage version. But especially because this is set in 1903 and to have really strong representations of women Mm -hmm. who are actually going quite against what the norm would be for that time period. I think that's really good. Like, I liked the female voices in this film quite a lot. Yes. 
I really like Judy Garland here. This is the only thing I've seen her in other than Wizard of Oz. What exclusively? You've only seen these two? Yes. All right. So for me, I know her as Dorothy. Mm-hmm. She seems so adult and grown up in this. Yeah. Comparatively. And it's really quite weird to see her speaking with such like an adult tone of voice. Yeah, so Wizard of Oz came out in 1939. Yes. And this came out in 1944. Yeah. So obviously she is older. Yeah, but she she looks older. She's acting older, yeah. But also feels older, yeah. Mm-hmm. She feels like she's older than a teenager. And you said she was supposed to be, what, 16 or 17 here? 17, 18, yeah. I think. Because she's old enough to marry. Mm. So I think she must be 18. Well, you but... say old enough to marry. I don't think she's... No, no. <laughs> They're old enough to get married without parental permission. Yeah. So she has to be 18. Yeah. Because I don't know when that law changed, yeah. especially in America. But I feel like if she's willing to get married without having parents' permission, she yes. must be about 18. Yeah. But I really liked her performance in this. Hmm. We meet Rose. And Rose is, is very excited but kind of trying to keep normal about it, like not get overwhelmed by her excitement because she might have a proposal coming. Yes, we've got a grand conspiracy going on in the house that Rose knows she's going to be getting a phone call tonight. From Warren Shepherd. Yes. And they're building the dinner around this, plus they're building the dinner around the fact that Katie has to leave early because, you know, her... Except Katie doesn't have to leave early. So she's made that excuse up about her sister's... So Judy Garland, so Esther, mm-hmm. asked Katie to please come up with an excuse to tell the mum that she needs to leave early so Got they need you. to have dinner early, even though the mum knows that Rose is getting this phone call tonight. So there's really no reason for it. But it's just a good excuse that they can use on their dad. Yes. Because he's not going to want to eat. At no, of course. An he earlier hour. Yeah, yeah. I like that when Rose shows up, we have fake gossip on the balcony to try to attract the male neighbour, but it was unsuccessful because he doesn't even notice them. Nope. I wonder what he is actually looking at. So we see that John Truitt, who's just moved in next door, yeah, is just stood on his front lawn smoking yes. a pipe. And doing nothing. <laughs> like As most men do. However, I am personally of the belief that he does notice them. He just enjoys it. He's just pretending not to notice yeah. the attention that he's getting. Yeah. I can't say I've ever been there. So I, I can't get in his headspace, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But Esther says she wants something strange and wonderful. Something she'll always remember. Yeah, she doesn't want to just be introduced to yeah. him. She wants to be introduced to him in an interesting way. She wants something like Oz. Sure. Rose doesn't think Warren's going to propose, though. But I, I do think that it stems more from she's trying not to get her hopes up. As opposed to, you know, oh, stop, stop. Of course he's not going to propose. This is more like trying not to set her expectations too high up because she doesn't want to be disappointed. See, I think it's the opposite. Really? Yeah, I think she's waiting for this phone call, full well thinking he's going to propose. Yeah. Because it's being talked up so much by everybody else. And she knows that looking too eager for a proposal is frowned upon. Fair enough. So she's trying to be like coy about it. Well, she does have a great line that she says to Esther that there are more important things than boys. 
Yes, when you get to my age, you'll realise there are more important things than boys. And she's only, what, like two, three years older? Yeah, she's like two years older than her. Which, fair enough, that's hilarious. Yeah. Judy Garland sings The Boy Next Door. I think this is a really good song. Her voice is a lot more grown up. Yeah. And she's and, probably putting on a voice for Dorothy. Oh, yeah. But I think also there must have been improvements in, you know, the filming process and recording process. But it does sound a lot better than versions of what I've heard for Wizard of Oz. Mm-hmm. I couldn't ignore a good boy next door, especially if he doesn't tease me. Is that what she says? Yeah. He doesn't even tease me. Yeah. Fair enough. I do think there's a bit where she's looking in the mirror. Mm-hmm. And I was looking at it and thinking from a distance, like I can imagine that was like Christine Baranski singing. <laughs> like there's very similar yeah. like, facial shapes Definitely. between the pair of them. One of my favourite defining features of Grandpa's character is his hat collection. And he's constantly in a different hat. Yeah, it's so weird and great. He's currently in a fez. Yep. Lord only knows how he's got a fez. It's just in his collection. Probably some military duty. Probably, based on his age. Yep. We get some more captivating story. Mm-hmm. The ketchup is too thick. Yes, and he tries to pour water into it and they yes. snatch it away from him because it's going to ruin their ketchup. Yes. And... Everyone warns Rose against committing to Warren Shepherd mm-hmm. because they haven't met him yet. So was that normal for society at the time that girls could say yes to a suitor without like parents meeting? Because the tradition is you need father's blessing. So is that something that's quite radical for the time period? Not, so yes and no. To get engaged to somebody in that way is, wouldn't, it doesn't work the same as it does now. Yeah. Like an engagement of that kind is a verbal agreement, Mm -hmm. not a, we are definitely going to get married. Yes. And the way that this is working because they're like college age students Mm -hmm. and Rose is of a married, like an expected marrying age at this point. For her to get proposals should be common. Yes. Like she should have lots of boys proposing to her based on her like status and her wealth and like she's beautiful. Yes. She, she should be getting lots of proposals. And they say later on in the film she's turned down lots of boys before. So she's probably been having a lot of proposals. Yeah. Saying yes to a proposal from a boy doesn't mean that you are going to get married. It just means a case of yes, I will consider your proposal and let's talk. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and then come and meet my family and speak to my father and good luck Before to you. we make it a binding agreement. Yeah. Okay, cool. Because it, it felt very weird to me that they're like, oh, yes, mm. she she gets full autonomy. And I thought, oh, yeah, There's more to it than that, obviously. Yeah. But for the, like... She's interested this in this proposal, so she's willing to consider it, which means you can now go to level two. Yeah, she really likes this boy. Yes. And for him to be ringing from New York is a big deal. Yeah. And he, so when he's on the phone to her, says, please don't tell my parents. They'd be really angry if they found out how much it was costing me to yeah. bring you. Yeah. We now leave the home mm-hmm. and we see Tootie is hard at work selling ice. <laughs> Eating ice. Eat. So she's not actually at work. She's just hitched a ride with some 
no, random she's, fella. She's got a ride with Mr. Neely, yes. who's selling the ice, who lives down the road from them. And he is on his cart with his big blocks of giant blocks of ice in the back of his cart. Yeah. And she's sat in the back just chewing on some ice. Yeah. And she's she's that... It, it, it's that innocent time where everyone knew everyone. Mm-hmm. There was no danger in the neighbourhood. Mm-hmm. You would interact with them as freely as you wanted. Yeah. And it's a really sweet moment. Like, you know, I like the development of this character here. She just seems, again, not like your typical representation of a little girl character. Mm. I suppose. She's not like... It's just, she's just the precocious child character. I think it's the same for boys and girls. Well, yeah, and I, I feel like too often the media is very much like sugar and spice and all that outdated yeah. nonsense. But it was really refreshing to see her just being like, talking about diseases and... Uh, She's you know. so weird. Yeah. And, and she I liked that. She plays with her dolls the way that actual girls That's play That's what with I mean. Dolls. It wasn't like very much like, you know, the way we see it depicted so often that they're delicate with their dolls. That this mm. was very much like, oh yeah, I've buried all of mine because they have yeah, diseases it's a shame and I die. That all, the, all my dolls have died. Yeah. I must have a new one. And I liked that. I really thought like her character felt real as opposed to like a stereotype of what a little girl should be. Mm-hmm. And it was just really cute. Uh, they have a disagreement about how to pronounce Saint Louis. Yep. And she says, excuse me, it's pronounced Louis. Yeah, and Mr. Neely says, well, we had a cousin whose name was spelt the same. We pronounced it Louis. Yeah. Well, was he a city? No. But well, was he a why. saint? Yeah. No. Well, there you go then. Can't even compare it. And then we do get the better version of Meet Me in St. Louis, mm-hmm. you know, with Esther and Rose. Yep. They're singing in the front room. Yes, they're waiting for their hair to dry. Yes, and Papa comes in. He doesn't, and he asks to stop that screeching. Yes. And he dislikes the song and the fair. I feel like this is because he has nostalgia for when St. Louis was a smaller place. And it's maybe losing out on that charm now because it's becoming urbanised. Yeah, and it's probably just that this is all anyone's talking about. And I'm sure it's all anyone's talking about at work as well. Because it will bring in lots more money to their town. Yes. So he's probably just a bit sick of hearing about it. Yep. So we learn he's a lawyer, which is why they have such a good lifestyle. Mm -hmm. He's clearly earning... Money is he a partner in the firm? Does he say that later yeah, he's on? A partner. So, really good. Yep. But he did just lose a case. Yeah, and he's very annoyed about it. Naive Esther says, "Quit and do something different," and he mocks them. Because I, I don't think they actually quite understand how yeah. the world works at this point. Yeah. Esther is very sheltered. Mm-hmm. She has big ideas about the world, but I don't feel she's got the life experience. And I like that people kind of point that out to her. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that Rose is like, there's more to life than boys. Yeah. Rose probably thought that when she was Esther's age, but has now maybe been out in the world a little bit more seasoned. And it's like, well, yeah, mm-hmm. there's more to it than that. And I like it. I like that Esther's just like, all she wants is a man. Mm-hmm. Cool. And Rose... We see over the course of this film, Rose goes out on her own a lot. Yeah. And Esther doesn't go anywhere without at least one of her sisters. Yeah. Which is interesting about their characters, I think. Rose is just a lot more independent. Only time Esther does is when she's expecting to meet 
John. Mm-hmm. And the second she has to get on the trolley without anyone, you can see it really phases her. Like she's no, Rose is on the trolley. Was Rose on the trolley? Yeah, she's upstairs. Oh, I missed that. Okay, ignore that point. So, we are telling Papa we're eating early. Mm-hmm. He's, he's not, not having, any, having any of it. He's going to dine at the usual time. He's angry at having to eat early. He says no. Mm-hmm. And he says that if Katie is unhappy by it, she can hand in her resignation whilst he is in the bar. Yep. I mean, I do kind of understand his point of it. No one's actually telling him the reason why. Yeah, if they all of this could be solved by them just being like, no, this is why we wanted to give her some privacy. Yeah. And he probably would have said fine. Yeah, because based on how he reacts later, he probably would have said it was fine. I think the thing is with him, he's set up to be the closest thing we have to a villain. Sure. And he's not a villain. He just goes very much against what the family's wishes are. Yeah. But that's because the family doesn't keep him in the loop. Mm -hmm. So he's knocked for six by a lot of what's going on because they're all so secretive about it. Yeah. That he will make arrangements thinking he's doing a lot of good things for the family Mm. when actually he's doing bad things because they've all got such independent lives Mm -hmm. which is even the men in the house aren't telling him anything it's not like it's just the women keeping secrets from him yeah no one like grandpa obviously has no interest in him yeah which i think is really interesting but do you think that would be different if it was his dad i don't know not if it was the same character yeah so we go down to dinner and it is 6.30 at this point. Yeah, we're eating at the usual time. And they're a little bit cautious because there's no phone call from Warren yet. Even though mm. he said at this time. 6.30, they haven't been served dinner yet. Yes. But there's still been no phone call. And they were hoping he would call early to avoid this. Yeah. So I think Rose must be 21 because as I've written the note, 21 is a perfect age for marriage. So she must be 21. Yeah. They're talking about it. And... There's some weird, like, dynamics between Dad and Tootie. Because he tells her off, Mm -hmm. then instantly is like, oh, you're so charming. So I don't know if she's actually in trouble or if he's just, like, some kind of weird relationship they have. I think it's just playful. Yeah. But he really likes the food. And he does seem a lot calmer for eating. Yep. And Katie tries to rush the food, so she skips dinner for pudding. Yeah, and she's she tries to say that she thinks she thought it would be too hot for him to have meat. Yes, considering he's been complaining so much about the heat. Yeah, and he's like, no, no. It feels very wholesome. Like, it doesn't feel like anything he says to her is serious. Like, he's never actually threatening to fire her. Yeah. It just feels like it's a really playful relationship from all of them. Yeah. They're good. They come across as an actual family. Oh, yeah, 100%. And I like that. So he answers the phone when it rings and <laughs> yeah. hangs up because he has no idea what's going on and he wasn't expecting a yeah, call from New York. Yeah, he can't hear anything because yes. of how bad the phone line was. Yeah. You literally had to shout into it, which is why in public spaces you don't just have an, a like three-wall phone mm. box. You have a phone box with a door Yeah, because you have to shout into those phones. Yeah, so he's like, no, I won't accept a call from New York. Good day, sir. And hangs up. And everyone's just quiet. Rose immediately bursts into tears. And he's just knocked for six. Like, what's going on? Well, he doesn't even notice that Rose is crying. Tootie has to tell him. Yes. And then he says, 
I will take all calls from now on. Anna, I'm curious. Was I voted out of this family? From now on, I'm taking all incoming calls. Mm -hmm. The phone rings. Rose, you should probably take it. Right, you'd better answer that one. And that's... I love that he, when they explain to him why that yeah. why she's waiting for a call, he goes round the room and he's like, Tutu, did you know there was going to be a phone call today? She's like, yes. Agnes, did you know that this was happening today? Yes. Esther? Yes. Lon? Yes. <laughs> Grandpa? <laughs> They're all just sat there like, oh no. <laughs> but this is the point where I realise he's not a bad, like, person or a bad dad no, or, up till now it could have gone either way yeah because at this point everything about his engagement is quite harsh mm -hmm. and i think only after this point you realize that he is a character who will admit that he's in the wrong and he spouts all this nonsense but knows deep down like he's never going to act on any of it no and obviously it would be very useful for him to marry off some of his daughters yes because currently he has four daughters living in the house yeah so I like this. I think it's a good kind of joke to have where he's like, I will take all the calls. Go on, Rose. <laughs> Rose, you better answer that. It helps me understand his character better and know that we're not dealing with like this obnoxious, horrible father. We're mm -hmm. dealing with, you know, a father with a lot of female figures in the house. Yeah. Warren doesn't propose. No, I do really like the exchange where they're talking on the phone. Mm -hmm. And it, he, he says, oh, it, it's like you're in the next room. And she's like, what? And he shouts, I said, it's like you're in the next room. And she says, what again? And Agnes is like, he said, it's like you're in the next room. And I think that's hilarious considering the context of what they're saying. Yeah. I, I, I really like the phone call. I thought it was a really nice, funny moment. Mm -hmm. But how incredibly mortifying. Oh, yeah. Especially if you told your whole family, like, there's going to be a proposal. And it's clearly something that all of the young people in this town are talking about right now. Yes. That they're going to end up together. Yeah. Esther tries to break the tension with a joke. Mm hmm Doesn't quite work, but... But the, we go back to eating and having our dinner. Yes. Yeah, she says, um, well, I don't think anybody in town can say they've ever been called long distance from New York. Yeah. And that's still good enough. Exactly. For them. And you can still tell all the all, all, all the people about town that well, you know, the proposal didn't quite happen, but he who else? Long distance. Yeah. Who else has had a call from New York? Yeah. And they invite the neighbour over for a function, and Esther tells Rose. Yeah, they get Lon to invite. Yeah. John. John. Oh, that's going to be tricky. Yeah. Lon invites John to their party yeah house party and esther says that she wants john to kiss her tonight and rose says nice girls mm -hmm. don't let men kiss them until they're engaged true obviously obviously <laughs> so this is the thing that i quite like about it is the fact that you do have this very kind of young esther mm -hmm. who is also quite willing to break against social norms like i feel like that would be a big deal for the time yeah and it's quite nice that you know this is a female point of view of course she wants this i just man love how her. supremely cocky it is she's literally never spoken to this boy they've had yeah. no interaction and she's like well i should I'll, I'll probably let him kiss me because of course he wants to right i will say this i feel like without this show without esther mm -hmm. we don't have rachel berry 
You think that that's who this is based on? Rachel Berry is a lot of people. Yeah. But the way Esther plays the room and the way Esther plays people... Yeah, it's very is Rachel so Berry. Rachel Berry. Sure. Because she does play this room fantastically. She's plotted. She knows the whole point of this function for her is to set her up with John. Yeah. And she acts so surprised when Lon introduces... Oh, it's so great because she, Lon obviously knows what's happening too. Yeah. And she stands with her back to them and she stood right next to them and then she elbows Lon. Yes. And Lon's like, oh, John, this is my sister Esther. Have you two met? And he's like, oh no, I don't think we have. They shake hands and she literally drags John away with her. Yes. And she's like, oh, I didn't know anyone was inviting you. It's so Rachel oh. Berry scheming. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure I've seen you around before. Yeah. How do I, don't I know, know you? you? Oh, I live next, next door. door. Yeah. Brilliant. So, yeah, I I, I, I really like this moment. Mm-hmm. We go to Skip to My Loom. The lyre music is lovely here. Like, yeah. I think it's really upbeat. And fun. There's a lot of songs within Skip to the Loom that I kind of Yeah, recognized. it's a couple of different songs. Little Brown, Little Brown Jug, or yes. you would know it's Little Brown Hen. Yes. And just a couple of other songs all mixed in together. Lots of folky songs. I will say, I prefer this kind of, like, dance compared to, like, the Pride and Prejudice type dances where the music is a bit more upbeat, you know, as opposed to a kind of slow orchestral. There are upbeat ones in Pride and Prejudice. And that kind of dance, there would also be upbeat songs. I know, but when we watch Pride and Prejudice, you don't see this. Yes, you do. Okay. You don't pay close enough attention. No, I don't. (laughs) But you did mention to me there was one anachronism in this scene. Yes. So when they were making this film. Yes. The set designer and the set dressers worked really closely with the book author, Sally Benson. They wanted, because the book is a true story, it's based on Sally Benson's life and her family. They wanted it to feel like a real family's home. Yes. So they asked for pictures of her actual house and and drawings and they talked to her about it and looking at everything that was in there, everything is true to the time period it's set in. All of the costumes are true to the time period it's set in. It They've done a really good job of making this all perfect, except for the hair yes. in this movie. And when the original version of everybody's costumes were being designed all of the young women had their hair up because they were of dating age essentially mm-hmm. if you are going out and meeting young men you are old enough to have your hair up having your hair down wasn't something you were doing in public well you said to me like pigtails or things like that was signs that you were younger yes so as a child your hair would have been in pigtails yes or plaits whatever whatever you refer to them as and as soon, like, you would literally have to beg your parents to let you not wear your hair that way anymore. Because that's a sign that you are a young woman now, rather than a child. And there are a couple of characters in the scene who are the same age as Judy Garland's character, who have their hair in pigtails still, which is just anachronistic. Because if that's the case, they shouldn't be at this party. Yeah. And the rest of the women have their hair half up, half down. Yeah. Which is not how it should be they should all have their hair up because they're young ladies yeah. and they're in front of men too you wouldn't have your hair down in front of a man ex- unless it was your father or you were married or like, your brother yeah yeah like family or the person you're engaged to slash married to 
there's not really any it's one of those things that it's one of my biggest issues with the modern little woman it's just something where you look at it and you think you're going to this level of yeah, getting accuracy and you're willing to you know forfeit it all for a small detail like hair mm-hmm. it's, it always interests me yeah it's crazy we get a really great line there are mice in the house because we see that the little ones are watching from the stairs so agnes and tootie have snuck down to watch the social yeah that is really cute so the parents have gone out so mum and dad mr and mrs smith aren't here Mm-mm. that's a big level of trust but you know like let your children throw this kind of function and be out the house yeah that i didn't expect from this time period like that felt more like a you know modern day thing i don't know the history of this time period like you do so that felt very interesting to me mm-hmm. tootie wants to sing too yeah i don't like this song i mean it's i would, cute it's not really a song but it it's a little, mm. little mini performance i was drunk last night yeah, and she sings it a couple of times throughout this, yeah. and it's just annoying. Esther claims she's a hoodlum. Sweet, <laughs> she's a hoodlum. And she's very unimpressed by this song. Yeah, and everybody else at this party seems to think of her tootie as kind of a pet. Yes. Like, she's a, this adorable little child who has no filter at all. Yeah, it's like a gimmick. It's like... <laughs> yeah. You bring your children down and parade them around before you send them back up to but bed. But you, would, you wouldn't want... To, if you were a parent, you probably wouldn't want to parade Tootie around for no. the reason that she's not what people expect. And again, that's what I like is the fact that... No, she's not out in society yet. She's far too young. Yeah. How old do they say she is? She's like five. Yeah. Five or six. And uh, no, they say five. Do they? Yeah. Yeah. And so she doesn't really have any social skills. Yeah. But everybody finds her completely charming. Yeah. And so she then says, well, I don't want to go to bed yet. We want to do the cakewalk. Mm-hmm. And they agree to do the cakewalk slash under the bamboo tree. I had been warned that this was kind of a weird song. Yeah. I mean, yeah, by 2020 standards, this song's not great. Not great. Mm-hmm. But I don't feel like it raises as many issues for me as Oklahoma. Yeah. You know, obviously, it's of its time. Mm-hmm. This isn't like Annie yeah. doing it, where in the 70s I'm like, wow, that's bad. This is the 40s doing it, and it's still bad. Yeah. But... Well, so the other thing with this song, like, movie context-wise... Yeah. ...is these characters haven't learned this song off of the radio no which means they've seen it in some kind of vaudeville performance yes they've gone to the theater and they've seen this more than likely tootie hasn't been to see this esther's come home and taught her this song yeah and she's learned it or she's gone and bought the sheet music for yeah. it or something because that's that's how you learn songs what i will say for this mm-hmm. like song music whatever aside we're not going to spend too much time talking about it what I do like about this is it's just really cute to see Esther performing with Tootie. Yeah, it's a cute It's a really moment. cute, like, sister bonding moment. Especially after you've just had Esther be like, oh, she's a hoodlum and, mm-hmm. you know, unimpressed. It's nice, to, especially because Esther is conducting herself like an adult all the time. And to see her be mm-hmm. a sister here, I think is a really nice moment. Nice. It's the end of the party. All the visitors are leaving. 
but John can't find his hat. Yes. And it turns out that Esther hid his hat. In the so bread bin. She could have some private moments with him. Mm-hmm. She wants her kiss. He does mention there are raisins in it, yep. which I think is quite funny that Esther's like trying to be so smooth and it is like, oh, it didn't work. And she says, we'll be seeing more of you, right? He goes, you betcha. Yep. And she's trying to stop him every time he goes to leave the house. She's too nervous. Like she's all talk. Mm-hmm. And now she's at this moment, she doesn't know quite what to do. And just as he leaves, she brings him back into the house because she's scared of mice and she needs an escort for turning off the lights. Yes. And it is a really good excuse. And I do think he can see right through it. But he comes back in Mm -hmm. and she's really trying to create a moment. You know how like you see this thing like in like rom-coms, especially rom-coms that deal with like younger girls, like trying to create a perfect moment with someone. Yeah. This is is exactly what she's doing. Wouldn't it be such a hassle to turn these lights off? Oh, they're so annoying. The best one is the third one because it's just like one switch. But you've got one where it's... You every have to part do every of the chandelier. Light. Yeah. Oh, that's when so they, annoying. But when they get to that third light, she yeah. says, Oh no, this is a new one. And you just turn the middle bit yeah. off. So what a hassle. I, I like their flirting. Mm-hmm. She, he says, I like your smell. And she replies, Oh, it's essence of violet. It smells like my grandmother. Yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> and also, you've got a good grip for a girl. Yeah. So before. Rose leaves. Mm-hmm. She says, "Don't stay down too long. You need your beauty sleep." Yeah, and it feels like John's finally kind of getting what's going on here because he says, hmm, uh, "You don't need your beauty sleep." Yeah, if you don't mind me saying, I, you don't look like you need your beauty sleep. Yeah, what a compliment! It is well like done. he finally has has figured out what's actually going on here. I feel like he was quite oblivious at first, mm-hmm. and now he's kind of got what's going on. He's still not like a hundred percent into it, though. No, I, but I think that's mostly because nerves as yeah. well, which is quite nice. I don't think you often see depictions of like nervous men when it comes to like this. It, like it's supposed to be that it comes so easy for them. Yeah. Well, as well, he's literally never spoken to this girl before. No. He danced with her once at this party, and then saw her perform a little dance with her baby sister. Yeah. And now she's coming on to him. Yeah, and it must be very weird for him, especially. Yeah. We get a song about stairs. Over the banister, yeah. I mean, it's a beautiful song about stairs. He he likes it. He says, what a beautiful song. Yeah. I, I don't know what to say about this one. I feel like my description covers it. Well, the, so the way that he talks about it, this is obviously an existing... We know this is a jukebox musical, but within the world of this musical... This song exists. Yes. And there he references it. He's like, oh, yeah, it reminds me of that song. You know, the one. And he says a line and then she sings it. Yeah. And it's just a cute little moment between them, which would only happen in a musical. Because if in real life a guy said to you, oh, yeah, that really reminds me of that one song. And you just sang it. (laughs) That would be really You giving me your your phone number reminds me of a song. You know, call me maybe. <laughs> and then just breaks sing it. Hey, I just met you. Exactly. It wouldn't work, would it? No. However, this is terribly romantic. Obviously. It is. And it works for them. And he does say he'll never forget this evening. Before promptly walking off and she doesn't get her kiss. 
before promptly running away. Yeah. We get more talk of the biggest fair ever held. Mm-hmm. And it, it's... Was it going to cost 50 million or has it? Is it bringing in 50 million people? I think it's bringing in 50 million people. Yeah, that bit confused me. Yeah, she says to John that she hopes that on Friday he will join them all on the trolley ride yes. to go and see the construction site because there's clearly nothing else to do in this but is town. It, but this is the thing, like as a teenager, how exciting must that mm. be? Like you're going to watch the construction of this. You're not even going to the fair. You just want to watch mm. it being built. Cause... Yeah, exactly. I mean, I can kind of get on board with that. Like, yeah, I understand that. Like, this is obviously pre-modern technology. Yeah. Getting to go and watch them build this thing that you know is going to make your town, like, the epicentre well, of the World Fair. I, not even, like, just that. Like, when we've been doing school shows before, and I know they're working in the theatre and constructing the set. It's just interesting to watch, I got, Yeah, exactly, because it feels so big and monumental. So, you know, I love that. We do go to maybe the second biggest song from this one. Yeah. I feel like it's more well-known than Meet Me in St. Louis. Sure. I don't know. I think for me... I think it's referenced in more pop culture. Yeah. I feel like the biggest song from this is Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. And the second biggest song is is this one. I don't know that everyone would be able to tell you that Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas was from this, though. Yeah. I I do feel like most people were expecting us to sing this one. Yeah. So I might just give them a little clang, 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 went the trolley. Ding, 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 went the bell. What an absolute bop as well. It is a really, really nice song. I really liked this song. Yes. Everyone's getting on the trolley. Esther realises that John isn't here. Yes. And she's obviously... Yeah, she's very disappointed. Disappointed. Because she invited him and her sister's yeah. there and all of their friends that it were at this like party are there. It feels like a big dismissal. Like, that's very definitive. He's mm-hmm. not interested. Well, everybody their age... Yes. Which is everyone that was at that house party is going to see it. But They're he's all new here. to this town as well, isn't he? So he's presumably not met many people. Like, mm. he's not been around for that long. No, but he he plays basketball with all the boys. Yeah. So they know each other. I like when this song starts... You've got all these like teenagers really excited, but you've got this really grumpy looking conductor who's just having none of this nonsense when so the bell rings. This. this happens to you, every single gonna say, day. Every single day, there and back, they sing this song. Mm-hmm. Everyone's having great. Esther is the only depressed looking one. Yes. Until we see mm-hmm. John running. Yes, with his hat. Which, when you think about it, is actually a really good introduction to a key character trait for him. Yeah. The fact he can't keep track of time. Because that's going to crop up again later. It's true. I never thought about that. No, I haven't thought about it until just... time management. He does. It's like last week with Anna in the Apocalypse. Like There's Mm. a few things that set up important points for later on. Yeah, that's true. And this is quite important that it's like, he's really into her, but he's still quite young and kind of self absorbed Mm -hmm. he was probably playing basketball and completely forgot about this date yeah and then again yeah because that's going to crop up again later his defining character trait is that he forgets about her all the time yeah so as soon as we see him running and everyone stops and they watch him running 
Esther and they're all cheering up. for him. Yeah. Yeah. So this is when where we see that Rose is also on the trolley with her. I miss that. When she goes yeah. upstairs and she sits down, it's Rose that she's sitting next to. And Rose looks at her, realizes how miserable she is, and is like, okay. I'm not dealing with I'm you. I'm not it's... dealing with this today. I feel like obviously Esther on her own, I know who she is. But when you put her with a crowd of people, yeah. she's so beige. Mm-hmm. She has more personality and more to do when she's within the house, but I don't feel she's got a look like Judy Garland does. Rose, yeah. And I don't mean that to sound detrimental. Like, obviously, she's an important character and she's very well performed, mm-hmm. but I feel like she doesn't stand out. Yeah. So I hadn't noticed her. I didn't know that that was Rose. I thought it was just two random teenage girls. Well, in that moment, you're supposed to be watching Yeah. Uh, Esther anyway. Yeah, but in other films, you would recognise... That that was that character, you know, even if they're just background and, and chewing the scenery, you'd at least recognise that that was that person. So, but I think maybe that's more a compliment, the fact that she's not pivotal to this moment and the fact that she does just blend in. It's probably a good thing. Like the dressing and everything, they're all dressed the same. They shouldn't stand out in this way. Yeah. Did you notice that the Riddler was hidden behind Esther when she was singing? Yeah, the colours. It just made me laugh. Like, watch out, Batman. The Riddler's on this trolley in St. Mm-hmm. Louis. The Riddler's planning to hide some trophies about the construction site. Yes. And John is captivated by her. So it really feels now that John is into her. Mm-hmm. And this feels like a kind of good point for the end of Act 1. But in hindsight, I would say no. End of Act 1 needs to come at the end of Halloween. I'm... Uh... I actually don't know when... No, obviously this being a film, it's a little bit more different. But there's a bit at the end of this song where they're on the trolley, they look at each other and then end. Yes. And to me that feels like, oh, this is an interesting kind of good break point. Oh, so this is the end of Act 1 in the same show. Oh, wow. Go me. It just, it felt like a good kind of pause moment. And if you were to have an interval in in the film, Mm -hmm. that feels like a good interval moment. Yeah. So we're now in autumn 1903, and I really like how spooky, wooky it looks. Mm-hmm. And Rose is getting the mice ready to go trick or treating, and they all tell are spooky you stories. Keep that? <laughs> it depends on what my notes are saying. I, really I wish they I were dressed as mice. That'd be cuter. I, I completely forgot that in this time period, it wasn't about going around collecting chocolate or sweets it was just playing pranks yeah do you know what they're doing yeah it's, it's trick or treat but there's no obviously treat element it is just a chance to go out and be mischievous yeah but do you know what it means when they throw the flower at somebody no so what they're trying to do is they're trying to kill all their neighbours yes and kill to kill someone you had to throw flour in their face yes and then like if you successfully kill all of the neighbours then you are the most horrible yes and that's what you want to okay. win I liked it. I thought it was a really... It's a weird little tradition and I kind of like it. Because you were saying to me, as soon as the girls leave the house, the kids have started a fire. They're burning... In the middle of the street. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, geez, this is violent. But you were telling me that basically the adults have left their old furniture. They no longer Mm -hmm. want out for them to do that. Cool. I like that. I think it's a really nice way to just get rid of your furniture and fun but jeez that sounds like i could get out of control like kids starting fires Mm -hmm. yeah well this is before anyone cared about children so yeah but it's 
essentially like a mix of bonfire night and yeah. Halloween, which Americans don't celebrate bonfire night. No. But, and neither should we, but like... No. Yeah, so they've got the big bonfire going right in the middle of the street, and then they're sending groups of kids off yeah. to go and kill different groups of neighbours. Yeah. I like that Agnes and Tootie have got backstories for their costumes. Mm-hmm. That's really awesome. They're definitely using Stanislavski's method to get into character. Yeah, they're ghosts. Like, yeah, but they've got reasons for being ghosts. Like they've thought about why they are still on this plane of, of existence. Yeah. I really like Agnes's joy when Katie's fooled. Like, it's so her. cute. It is so cute. Like that's. It feels like oh, I actually got you, and it's like you you know that mm-hmm. she's just humouring her, but it's so cute, and it is like you're watching children. Yeah. It's like watching Annie. We, we said how the acting in the first Annie film felt bad at times, but it was forgivable because you felt like you were watching a child, mm-hmm. which made it endearing. And it feels the same here, that it just is very cute. Yeah, and one of the things they did to make this whole scene feel like childlike is they actually built a lower rig yeah. for the camera. That's cool. So that you were seeing everything from Tootie's uh, Point of height, view. which is... <laughs> It works when you're looking up at the houses. The houses suddenly oh, seem a lot bigger. Yeah, I'll talk about this in a moment, but 100%. I like the interaction with Grandpa. Like, he inspires the mischief. And he's like, if you get your hands a little bit wet with the flower, it sticks better. Mm-hmm. Which I think's great. So, yeah, they leave. And the kids are all splitting into teams for optimum trickery. Mm-hmm. And Tootie wants to help, but no one's going to let her because she's too small. And one of the kids had a Guy Fawkes mask, which has been popularised with Viva Vendetta. They had the anonymous Guy Fawkes mask, but like in its infancy, like go back, watch this film and you'll see somebody at this point has a Guy Fawkes mask. And I thought, wow, that's really cool. Like, Yeah, it's not exactly the same, but it's similar. No, but you you can see it. Like if you Mm -hmm. were to watch it now, you'd be like, huh. I recognise that. Tootie eventually volunteers and gets the hardest trick. The scariest neighbour. Yes. So she has to go to Mr. Braukov's house? Yes. And everyone's terrified of him, clearly. Yeah. Because even the older kids don't... Like, the oldest kids don't want to go there. But she's going to do it on her own. And this is where I really noticed how well this was shot. Because... It clearly puts you in Tootie's position. Yeah. Everything looks bigger. Mm-hmm. This feels like a child's perspective. And the build-up with the music and the slow pace and the camera angles, it, this is scary. Yeah. It's not a horror movie, but it feels like a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Really well done sequence. Yeah. I liked this. She gets to the house and she wants to leave and she goes to leave. But then she remembers if she doesn't, the banshees will haunt her. Forever. Yeah. As a child, you don't want banshees. You believe that stuff. All the other kids are telling you that. Oh, yeah. Especially because she's five. She's little. She Mm. doesn't understand that that's not real. So she knocks at the door. Yeah. A scary man shows up. Yep. And she just throws the flower and says, I hate you. Yeah. Off she goes. (laughs) 
He's obviously been waiting all night to see which kid's going to come and get him this yeah. year. And it's so funny. He plays his part brilliantly. Yeah, and he stands there and he clenches his fist and he goes, and pretends to be horrified. And actually, as she runs away, he smiles. He and smiles. Like, and he looks down and his cute little dog is eating the flower. He's like, Because she throws on. her whole bag of flour. Yeah. yeah. It's really and funny. she runs back and she's now the bravest of them all. Yes, she's the most horrible. Yes. And they let her throw something onto the fire. Yes, and now the Halloween hijinks can ensue. Yes. So we see that Rose is on a date with Colonel Darley. Not not a date. She's managed to trick this guy into driving her home. Yes, it, but it feels very much like she is... She's not pinning all her hopes on Warren anymore. And she's seeing what else there is out there. Yeah. But I don't think she's got any intention. No, because this guy's a bit older as well. Yeah. It's almost like she's using him to fuel rumours and make Warren more jealous. Which, kind of fair enough. Because yes. this guy is, is needs to get his act together. The best thing about this scene were dogs. the two cute Dalmatians that were chasing after his, his carriage. Yeah, because he's got a pony in trap and the dogs are running underneath the trap. Yeah. Tootie screams and everyone's panicked. Yeah, the everyone trolley. knows it's her. It's so funny. Everyone knows it's her. Did the trolley go clang, clang, clang all over her? That's what they think happened. That's what they think happened. But it emerges it wasn't the streetcar. It was John. He tried to kill her. Apparently. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Knowing what actually happened... I'm glad. But geez, at this point in time, I'm thinking, wow. Like, Never understood why she tells this fib, though. Because Agnes was there the whole time. It's a Halloween trick, isn't it? Well, yeah, and it's a really dangerous Halloween trick. And she could get e- in a lot of trouble. But even the accusation is her maybe taking the trick too far, not understanding the concept of what... No, the consequences for what she's saying. Yeah. So... She claims that he's tried to kill her. Mm-hmm. He tried to run her over. He and hit her. Yeah. yeah. Everyone's very, very worried. Esther initially refuses to believe mm-hmm. her. But Tootie has a split lip that needs stitches and, and a missing tooth. And a handful of his hair. Yeah. And that's the point. Esther's like, oh my God, he did it. He tried to kill my sister. Mm-hmm. And I love that no matter what she feels for him, She's like, oh, I have to kill him now. Yeah, I love that. She's quite happy just to forget about all this romance and go over and confront him. Mm -hmm. And she says, don't hit a five-year-old. She despises bullies and she hits him quite... Oh, she gets him. She gets him. It's great. And I just love... And she rips her dress. Yeah. But I don't... But he's, he's trying to hold he's her trying to away hold from her. him. He genuinely has no idea what's going on. If mm. anything, he's just saved her sister and now she's coming over beating on him. Yeah. And she it's not like he's ripping her dress violently. It's he's just trying to grab her. He's trying to hold her in place and she's moving. She rips her dress with the movement. Yeah. And he just looks so confused. Mm-hmm. And they go back to the house. She's really brave. Tootie's got the stitches with, with no kind of... And is milking it yeah. as much as she possibly can. I'll go and get you some ice cream. Yes, you can wear your sister's like gorgeous silk nightgown. Well, she comes down saying like, make room for the invalid. Mm-hmm. But they get the line like, dad may strike him as well. Like, Yeah. She's really put John mm-hmm. in a horrible position. And actually John's family. Yep. 
because the way this neighborhood is very closely knit, they you assume all the adults know each other. Yes, and also these are the newest adults mm-hmm. to the neighborhood. And it emerges that what actually happened was because Agnes saw the whole thing, they put a fake body on the track. Yeah, and John saw that they were in danger and actually could have got hit and grabbed them. And also the fact that the police were looking because this is a really so, dangerous prank. Yeah, so what happened was if where they put the body, this fake, like, Guy Fawkes-style body... That they filled with, like, leaves that they raked from the yard. Yeah. They put this body on the tram tracks. And because it's a tram, it's not set deep into the ground and it's yeah. not on a track like a train. Yeah. It's just following, like, a line, essentially. They had to brake so hard that the tram skidded off of the track. Mm. It could have gone over and killed somebody. Yeah. And it could have killed Tutti. Yeah. And she obviously doesn't realise that. They don't explicitly say what she's hit her face on. So... But the police have arrived and are looking to see who would do this. And John's got hold of the two girls and got them away. Was he on the trolley at the time? So he's got off the trolley. He's recognised them and he's, he's, he's dragged them out mm-hmm. there must have been some kind of them trying to fight him off yeah i imagine tutti would have freaked out at this and that's possibly where she split her lip is like trying to get away from him thinking yeah. she was in trouble having to run esther is furious yep mostly because at that point this she's is, like could, like just have ruined her chances with yeah because she's gone over and confronted him mm. but then they all start to laugh because they realize it's a great halloween prank and it obviously is the kind of prank that everyone plays. Yeah. Like, this probably happens every single year. Esther then immediately goes to apologise. And I love the bit where he jumps. Yeah, because he thinks she's going to hit him again. <laughs> yeah. And he says it was no worse than football practice. Mm-hmm. And he asks her on a date. Yeah. And they kiss. They kiss. She's quite shaken by it. It's like, oh, is that what a kiss is like? Is you know nice. Mm. I feel like that's a very forward thing to do. Forward thing to do, but also like a definitive, like he's going to marry her. Mm-hmm. She comes back and she's very love drunk. She's all like, oh. "Oh yeah, have we rubbed Vaseline on the camera lens yes. to make it look all pretty too?" But Agnes comes out with a clever poem and it impresses Grandpa. Oh yeah, it's very good rhyme. It's quite good for a five year old. Well, no, because Agnes is seven oh, or eight. Agnes is like eight. Yeah, yeah. sorry. It would be very clever if Tootie came up with it. And then Dad comes home. Yeah. And he's bought a present for Mum. Yeah, so therefore what's he done wrong? Hey, just because I bring you a present, you think I've done something? I do kind of love it, though. I mean, I have done something. (laughs) He knows. He knows they're not going to be happy. He knows they're going to be upset by it. He doesn't think it's going to go down as badly as this does. I think he's more just a case of he knows he should have consulted with her, but at the end of the day, they'd all be happy because it's New York. Concrete jungle where dreams are made of. Sure. (laughs) He doesn't expect it to go this badly. We learn that the family will be moving to New York after Christmas and nobody wants to go. Mm -hmm. And people say, well, why can't we stay here with, with Grandpa? Yeah. And Grandpa's like, yeah, I've got 12 guns. They'll be safe with me. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't feel safe I with Grandpa. I would not feel safe with guns. Grandpa. Especially because at this point he's kind of like a comedic figure. I don't feel like you can ever trust comedic figures with guns in films. No. In real life, Sally Benson's family did move to New York. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. And there was a planned sequel for this film called Meet Me in Manhattan. 
and it was panned before this film ever came out. So. We get a really cute line from Tootie. I'll pack. It will take me a week to dig up all my dolls from the cemetery. Yep, which is like their backyard, I imagine. Yep. Anna's not a fan of the move. Yeah. And this really affects Esther and Rose's yes. like education. Well, it does, and their social lives. So yeah. Esther says, what about my life? And he says, well, you can take it with you. That's good. She's got permission to pack, John. Excellent. Do you think it'll fit in her bag? Yeah. And absolutely, 100%. Like, she'll put little, like, air holes in for him to breathe on the journey. Just don't poke the holes while he's in the bag. No. A few minor details. You yeah. know, the chickens and your father. And Grandpa says, oh, well, I'm a minor detail. And he's like, don't be silly. I, I just meant the chickens. Yeah. What's left of them. Because mm-hmm. you know Tootie's like, scaring the chickens yeah for like, sure no but one also w- they talk about they won't live in a house anymore yeah because only billionaires live in houses in new york You'll, they'll live in a, an apartment so they have to get rid of the cat mm-hmm. and it just everyone feels really somber no one wants to go they'd rather be poor and live in this amazing house yeah and they all just slowly go off to their rooms yeah it's a gorgeous cake and and Dad's like, oh, this is a great cake. Yeah, and he keeps cutting slices for everyone, trying to hand it to yeah. them, and everyone's saying, no. We've, I've got a first for this podcast. Mm-hmm. This week's star baker goes to Katie. For sure. Katie is star baker. She will not be leaving the tent this week. <laughs> but the worst bit about this is Dad plays the martyr card. As everyone starts leaving, Yeah. he says, all I do is work for my family, and this is the thanks I get. Like, I'm paraphrasing, but that's essentially what he says. Yeah. And he plays the martyr. Like, I sacrifice so much, and my career could really go off, and my family's against me. Mm-hmm. So everyone's gone down. I do not understand why he thought this was a good way to tell them about this. I get that he's excited, but I feel like this is a him and his wife conversation before First, anybody else. Yes, and then they decide how they break the news. Yeah. At the very minimum, you talk to Grandpa about it before you talk to the girls about it because he obviously can't come. No. So. Yeah. We go into You and I, which is a really nice song. It's nice to hear Dad sing. Mm -hmm. Especially because this seems like their song. Yes. Like it's a throwback song from when they were young. But what I like as well is we've never seen this before. Mm -hmm. So Mum is playing the piano. Yep. And then she says, I'll put it down to your key. Incredible. Something you've said to me many a time yep. over the past 36 weeks. Mm-hmm. But as he sings, the family comes out and gathers. And yeah, this is a nostalgic thing for them. This is what they do as a family. Yeah. Which is very of the time, isn't it? As you sit and you listen to your, your father sing as mother plays piano. Mm-hmm. And... They sit down, they get their cake, and they realise, like, okay, yeah. we've overreacted a little bit. Mm-hmm. We can still be sad, but this is happening. Yeah. You know, and we understand why. Mm-hmm. We've maybe been a little bit selfish here, and okay. Yeah. There's a really nice bit where Tootie tries to steal Esther's cake, and Esther, like, slaps her, her hand. Smacks her hand, but and then, then gives her the gives flower. Her the, yeah, it, it's nice. Mm-hmm. But it's funny, because it's very familial. It's mm. nice. You can tell that everyone, they're like doing a really good job of showing these interconnected lives. Oh, yeah. They feel like a family in this. Yeah. Which is what I think 
it's a boring plot Mm -hmm. in terms of like nothing really happens but you're captivated because it feels so real yeah and they've done a really good job like blending this cast together Mm -hmm. mary astor who plays mrs smith the mother has actually played judy garland's mum previously really this film as well yeah when she was a lot younger cool we're now at winter and we keep getting these awesome photo transitions yeah it's not as nice as the home alone house though at christmas i have to say no it's not quite the same kind of decorations no i really like the snowmen Mm -hmm. they look bad they look like they're made out of polystyrene well okay yeah obviously but what i mean is they look they don't look like professional snowmen like they look like what this family has made Mm -hmm. sometimes you want to make things look too perfect in films do you know what i mean yeah and actually sometimes the charm is in making them look like these characters have made them Mm -hmm. and they look like tootie agnes esther and rose have made these snowmen yeah alonzo and rose are bickering like siblings which is great again they feel like siblings Mm -hmm. and there's a dance yes so this is christmas Eve. eve Mm-hmm. and Rose has no date. Esther does, because she's going to go with John. Yeah. And Rose is saying she's not going to go, because mm-hmm. she's not got a date. And Katie is trying to convince her that, you know, I would be more than happy to go with my sibling. Yeah. And we get a really great line from Esther here. If I didn't have a date with John, which I do, Again, very Rachel Berry line, <laughs> which yeah. I do. I'd be honoured to go to the dance with Alonzo. Mm-hmm. Love that line. And they agree. Okay, yeah. we'll go. I like that. It felt familial. And then we cut to Esther getting ready for her night and being squeezed like toothpaste into a corset. Yes. Yeah, bothers me. As usual, I despise seeing all of this, like, stuff. It's always always in films, and I don't understand where this started. That corsets are uncomfortable. Well, you and said... And this isn't even in just, like, a me being like, oh, corsets don't hurt me. Like, corsets, first of all, are supposed to be made to fit your well, body. But that's why you said, you said, at least to this film's credit, she's wearing Rose's corset. Yeah, it's so a it hand-me-down. it would be uncomfortable. Yeah, it's not been made to fit her. You were, And you would be supposed to buy or make your own corset yes. that is fitted to your own body so it won't hurt you. Mm-hmm. And she would have been wearing stays anyway. Yeah. Which is just essentially a lighter, like, it does the same job, but it isn't as form... Fitting. controlling yeah. i suppose is the word i want it's not a, an outliner you know it's just holding everything in place so she should be used to this like i don't understand and obviously it's just in fashion to wear a corset for this particular thing but if yeah. you look at the dress she's wearing later on that she is wearing this corset underneath of she would have had to wear a corset to wear this dress yeah because the top of the dress is corseted it's a corset top with a ball gown skirt so I don't know why she's complaining. Yeah. I don't know. It bothers me. Costume things. I, I do like the way she's sitting down. Like, it's really funny that she has to, like, take her time to sit down. And yeah. she's like, nope, I won't do this. And she's convinced. She because... undoes the top button on the yeah. corset. But Rose says, you won't be a sensation without your corset. So. Mm. 
and they talk about their plan is that they're, they're going to try and like flirt with all the men i think that's what they're saying because yeah, she so... says we can certainly handle 20 men well 10 how many do you think you can handle rose oh, certainly seven or eight well i'll take the rest then yeah so it's basically that they have heard that warren will be there is taking a different girl yes to this party um lucille ballard which is rose's rival yes and or at least for warren's affection anyway and lucille is known to be very very popular and widely liked by all the young men so they figure if they can get all of the attention off of Lucille and, and onto, onto themselves, them. she'll be really yeah. jealous and also the, so will Warren. Because of the dance cards, which I never heard yeah. of before. They have to actually say who they'll dance with. Yeah, you have to fill your dance Which cards. is very interesting to me. It's so that you yeah. don't get stuck dancing with somebody who is below your station or you just really don't want to dance with. Like? Mr. Collins. Yeah. <laughs> Agnes gets really weird as this film develops for no kind of reason... Like, it just feels like a plot point that we wanted to make Agnes more of a character than she actually is. Yeah, she hasn't done a whole lot. Because they say about how, you know, she wants a hunting knife for Christmas. It just yeah, feels like... that feels like a tutti roll. Like, it does. Like, it just feels like they, they, they wanted to give more to Agnes than they ever did. Mm. John has no tuxedo because he was too preoccupied with basketball. He lost track of time. Now... It makes a lot more sense having talked about that with the trolley. Like, that's mm. a character trait for him, is that he just gets lost in himself. Do you know how angry I would be? Yeah. <laughs> this has always made me really angry whenever I've watched this film. Because he's trying to play this off like he's really heartbroken that he can't take her to this dance and he feels so bad about it. Yeah. Well, no. If you feel so strongly about it, you would have gone and picked up your tuxedo. Yeah. Yeah. I have no time for this. <laughs> Secretly, what happened is his wicked stepfather mm-hmm. destroyed the tuxedo. Sure. And he's just saving face. Mm-hmm. Sorry, John Dorella, you will not be going to this ball. No. And she says to him, well, <laughs> then you need to go and find out where the tailor lives yeah. and you need to go and get him to open the store. He says to her, I don't blame you if you never speak to me again. Yes, literally, this is the worst thing ever. Yeah, the like, horror. This is the ho- most most horrific Listen, thing he'd have ever however, done. However, they are about to move away. She's never going to get to go to a ball with all of her friends again. Yeah. And this is obviously the social event of the season. Yeah. She does tell him, I don't hate you. Mm-hmm. I just hate basketball. Yep. And his inability to manage his own time. And the best thing, so she goes up to the bedroom, heartbroken. Mm-hmm. She's crying. And Rose is like, well, come on, we'll still go. We'll have a great time. We'll both go with Alonso. And... Oh, I love this line because she turns and she says, you don't think I go to the smartest ball of the season with my brother. Oh, brilliant. And then she tries to backpedal on that really I loved quickly. It. I loved it because Rose just looks like you said earlier. Well, yes, but I had a date then. <laughs> love it. It wasn't about me then. It feels so authentic. Yeah. Luckily, <laughs> paper thin walls come mm. to the rescue because grandpa heard it all. Yes. Now. <laughs> we had a whole discussion about this scene as we were watching it. Right. So the way he phrased this, I genuinely thought he was offering his suit as tribute. Same. And I wrote the joke. That's what it should have been. I wrote the joke that he actually means himself. Oh, no. Oh, no. He, he actually meant himself. himself. 
Yeah. I thought the whole point of this scene was like, well, I've got, you know, an old suit that needs a pretty girl to accompany it. Why don't you give yeah. it to John? That's what I thought the point was. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. He's going to get dressed up and he's going to take, which is a really sweet gesture. Anyway, like, I will be your date. Mm-hmm. But wow. Like, I thought that was some kind of joke that we'd be making for this show. Like, yeah, secretly he wanted to go with her and she's just taking it off and, you know, run to John yeah. with it. It is simultaneously really cute and it's very chivalrous of him and it's sweet. Yes. And also he could have just donated his suit to hundred percent. A hundred percent. Because like even if it didn't fit right, a tuxedo is better than nothing. Better surely. than his basketball shorts. Yeah. It kind of works out because Grandpa is the belle of the ball. Oh, he's so Everyone cute. loves he's him. He's got his medal on. Yes. Everything. It's adorable. <laughs> and Lucille has conceded mm-hmm. so that Warren could dance with Rose. Yes. Yeah, so before we talk about that. Yeah. Rose and Esther. Have taken have, her dance card. Yeah. They've decided to play a prank because they know that Lucille will arrive late. Because yes. she arrives late to all dances to make an entrance. Yes. Apparently. We are told. So they take her dance card and they fill it up with losers. Yes. Specifically, the guys that nobody wants to dance with at these parties. Yeah. And their plan is to give that to her and ruin her evening and make sure that she cannot dance with Warren at all. Yes. And whilst... Esther's distracted talking to Grandpa. Yeah. Warren and Lucille get talking to Lon and Rose. Yes. And Lucille obviously is into Lon because we've referenced earlier in the film that she stopped talking to him for some reason. And she asks Rose if they can swap partners. And Rose is like, absolutely. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. And then she's like, Esther, the plans have changed. And it's too late because at that point, the dance card is like locked in. Mm Mm-hmm. So the prank backfires. Yep. Esther gives up her card so Lucille can get the nice dances. Which is very big of her. It is very big of her. But I guess she only does it as well because Grandad is watching at the time. And also it's for her brother. It is for her brother. Yeah. And yeah. And Grandpa says he's proud of her. He, and it's cute. He should be proud of her because it's a very big thing of her to do. Because mm-hmm. he knows that this is her last This is chance. literally the worst this evening could have gone for her. Yeah. Not only has her guy ditched on her, now the only enjoyment she was planning to have with her sister has been ruined. Yes. Because her sister magically now has a date yeah. and she's here with her grandpa. I feel like this is her hubris. Because yeah. of the way she's probably been going around bragging to everyone. Like, since the, the announcement of this ball and... and she has a date she must have been insufferable yeah like, even to rose the second rachel got with finn she got even more insufferable because yeah, not only true. has she got talent she's now dating the quarterback mm. and you just know anyone who kind of had any good faith towards her is losing it and that's mm. exactly what's probably happened over the past month yes. with esther and she kind of deserves this for her hubris of being like i have a date yeah but she doesn't deserve this because it is no, her last night. because she's inherently night. a nice person. She is, exactly. She's not like Rachel where she is so obnoxious. Mm. So she's dancing with all the losers. Yeah, she's of, about to start her next dance. And Grandpa comes to save her from and the just, worst dancer. Just like out talks this poor boy who does not understand what's happening. Oh, this poor boy is probably like 
this is the highlight of his life. He never thought he'd have a beautiful girl to dance with. And mm-hmm. this old codger's come in. He has no idea that that's her grandfather. Yep. And he's like, what are you doing, old man? That's my date. Yeah, and he still stood there like, what? Uh, uh, as they dance away. Yeah. And they, they dance to old... Old Lang Syne. Old Lang Syne. Mm-hmm. I can never say that. It's a bit of a tongue twister. We get a really, 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 really good transition. And you told me, put the notebook down and watch. Yeah. And they Because dance... you didn't notice. So Grandpa notices... Yes. ...that John has actually shown up. Do they show it then in the... Yes. Oh, wow. You weren't looking because you were writing your notes. Yes. This is one of the things that happens because you write notes while we watch these films. Yeah. Unavoidable, obviously. Yeah, but otherwise I don't know what I'd say. As they spin in the dance grandpa looks over and he sees john's just come in through the door by this giant christmas tree yes. and so grandpa dances esther around the back of the christmas tree and when they come out the other side john is the one that's yes now at esther. first i i did you have thought to... he time warped <laughs> uh, yeah i did have to say like is this either her head or is this a year later so like is she just imagining and oh, projecting yeah. I wasn't sure what it was, but you're like, no, he's actually no, there. No, no, because then Grandpa steps out from yes. behind the tree as well, and we see that John, I John's guess, grandmother... went and got his tux. Yeah, no, I, I think his godmother showed up and mm. was like, you shall go to the ball, John Dorella. Yes. He says he loves her, and she cries. Mm. And then he makes the, a beautiful proposal, and she says yes. Yep. He's going to quit school to support her. And she's like... No. And he goes, well, we are of age, technically. Yeah. So. Which the, so this is in Missouri. And yeah. apparently at the time, the legal marrying age was 15. So they're definitely of age. Yeah. We go back to the family home and Tootie is waiting for St. Nick to visit St. Louis. Mm. Oh. Esther says. Yes. That she wants to keep it a secret. Yes. Because she doesn't really want to stay here if the rest of her family are leaving for Sydney, yeah. for New York. Because that doesn't sound like a good deal. No, it doesn't. So she's And kind she of... says, even if I did go, we could still make it work. And he's like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah, it would be difficult. She she knows that she's saying yes to a proposal, but actually, like, it is choosing between him and her family. And mm-hmm. I don't think she's willing she's to. She's not willing to choose him over her family. No. Which I think is great. Yeah. And I think it's great. And... You know, we see how important the family is. She sings Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. The sisterly bond here is brilliant. Like, the way she's just singing to Tutu is, is so cute. Yeah. Spoilers for everyone listening. Judy Garland has a beautiful voice. Yes, of course. <laughs> but this song makes Tutu tearful. Mm-hmm. I just really wanted to say, like, Tutu, her voice isn't that bad. Rude. So I've noticed here, Esther's hair seems a lot more grown up. She's definitely grown over the past month. Oh, definitely. I think courting has definitely made her feel like I'm changing my hair. And we get to the bit I had seen a few days ago when we watched Deck the Halls. Mm-hmm. Tootie has gone out and she's destroyed the Snow family. That must have been so much fun to destroy, like, you know, these, these, these yeah, snowmen. Definitely. We see that the dad's... Gone upstairs. Why why is she upset? And sees Agnes, and Agnes has slept through all of that. He he stares at her, she's like, what's going on? Don't worry, go back to sleep. (laughs) She doesn't care. She slept through the song. 
And he's watching out the window as Tootie is having this big breakdown. She doesn't want to go. You can't do anything in New York. Now, I said it in the preamble. I still maintain the crying is annoying, Mm -hmm. but it does feel so authentic and it's really good as a result. Like within the context, I have to ask, what did they do to make her cry? (laughs) So, um, Vincente Minnelli, who directed this, really didn't like the way that this kid would cry. Yes. Because she had her mother and her aunt on set as her guardians. Yeah. And she had a dog. Oh, God. It's like a little dog. And basically, Margaret O'Brien, the little girl, would have an adult, generally her mother or her aunt, work her up. And, like, say things to her to get her that upset so that she could cry. Yes. I don't know how much of it is true that she was asking them to do this. Because I feel like a kid... Doesn't comprehend what they're going for. No. But on when they were going to film this scene, Margaret and her mum had had a really big argument that day. Oh, no. And they weren't talking to each other. And Margaret refused to have her mother, like, work her up for this scene. So Minnelli, the director, got asked to do it, essentially. And her mother said to him, she has a little dog. You have to say that somebody's going to kill the dog. That is the only way you're going to get her to cry. And so eventually, after much persuasion, he said to this little girl, your mother's told me that if you don't perform this scene, you don't cry, she's going to take your dog out. She's going to kill it. And that was the way to get her to cry. And she did it in one take and then stopped crying and skipped off set at the end of the scene and was fine. That's good. At least she was fine. It felt so authentic. He said, I went home feeling like a monster and I marveled that Margaret didn't turn out to be one too. That sort of preparation struck me as unhealthy. Years later, Margaret O'Brien claimed that that story was false, but everybody else in the studio said... Nope, if that happened. Yep. Oh, well, at least nothing happened to the dog. I thought you were going to say, like... No, they just... It was just, like, things they would say to her to get her really upset. But apparently this kid is a nightmare to work with. I was worried you were going to tell me that this is a scene that was filmed after they tried to kill her. So, like, they capitalised <laughs> on her no. fear by going, now, go do this scene, quick. No, apparently she had a competition with the girl that played Agnes for who could cry better, like, on cue. Her. That yeah, was very authentic. Her. And... They would also spray, even when she was crying properly, they would spray extra tears on her face to make it more for the camera. But apparently this this girl was really irritating on set because she knew that nobody could tell her off except the director. Well, she's earning a lot for this. Yeah. And you look at the billing of the names. Mm-hmm. And she's the biggest name after Judy Garland. Yeah. Well, so she would, anytime they were in the dining room, she would move all of the um, cutlery around and swap everything so they would be shooting one scene and then realize looking back at it that suddenly the cutlery's all moved and all of the set dresses and the behind the scenes people weren't they couldn't say anything to her because they wanted to get they were getting really wound up with her and they wanted to tell her off do you think they really pushed that electrician to be like yeah (laughs) no i think they had to try hard no i I know but like but apparently she just had a habit of just moving things around and she thought it was really fun but Wow. Yeah. So, obviously, 
dad has seen this whole outburst and he has seen Esther calm her down. He sits in his chair mm-hmm. and he's going to smoke his, his pipe, his cigar, whatever. I can't remember what it was, but he's going to smoke. He lights a match. Yep. And he just watches it. In that match lighting moment, does he go through a whole wonderful life series? Like, in his head, could we get like a spin-off film that's a whole wonderful life of like what happens if they go to New York? And yeah. how miserable they are before he snaps back in. Because all of a sudden he summons the whole family downstairs to say they're not going to New York. Because mm-hmm. New York hasn't got a copyright and opportunity. And the best thing about this whole sequence is the fact that he acts like New York was all of their idea. Mm-hmm. I love it that he's just like, well, you all wanted to go. And I, I knew it was a bad idea from the offset. And I'm putting my foot down. We're not going to go to New York. We're going to stay here. St. Louis. That's the place to be. Yep. It's just funny. And Esther says, oh, Papa, you've given us the greatest Christmas present ever. Mm-hmm. Opportunity. Basically. Anna starts crying. Yeah. She really wanted She's to go... She's been so emotionally messed around in this whole film. Well, I just think she really wanted to go to New York City and she's like, I've got to stay here. No, I think she's happy. No, it's I... obviously happy of crying. Of course it's happy crying. Her husband has a heart. Mm-hmm. And then we go to spring 1904 and they're off to the fair. Mm-hmm. Rose and Esther, they're all dressing their family best. Rose and Esther abandon Agnes and Tootie and, and go off on their own. Yep. The second taxi shows up and Tootie sits with the driver and everyone's like, oh, of course, Tootie, off you go. Yeah. John and Esther are still together. Do people know they're engaged at this point? Like, have they? Yes, they are. Because this is a year later. They are just engaged. No, now. it's not a year later. It's a couple months later. It's 1904. It's, it's literally like spring. It's only a couple of months. It's oh, not... no, a year from the start of the movie. Yeah, but... So it's the end of the year. The thing's been built. Yeah. So based on the timeline, yeah, I would say that they're engaged. Yeah. So people they're must never alone them. together. No. The family enjoy their lights. Mm -hmm. It's big ceremony. It's like the Olympics. You know, we're watching the torch get lit. Yep. And we get a really nice final line. Right here where we live. Right here in St. Louis. St. Louis, I'm afraid. (laughs) Yeah, and that's the film. Mm -hmm. Fun fact. In 1945, Judy Garland married the director of this film. Cool. Because she felt, she said it was the most beautiful she'd ever felt in a film. She felt like he did that for her. And they got divorced in 1951. <laughs> yeah. Who is your MVP of this film? I mean, Judy Garland. I care about her character the most. Tootie's really cute. The kid did a really good job. But I had written down Tootie. Mm-hmm. But I think you telling me about how much of a terror she was. Yeah changes my mind and I'm going to have to say Judy Garland. Yeah. I didn't want to be obvious and be like, well, Judy Garland. Do you want me to tell you how much of a terror Judy Garland was on the set? No, let's just leave it. <laughs> let's leave it at that. What's your best song in this one? Ooh, good question. Um, probably I, the trolley song. That gets in my head all the I time. I have to say, I love how you're always so unprepared. Like, I ask you and you're always like, hmm, I'm going to have to think about that. <laughs> We've been doing this. I do all the research. Weeks. <laughs> I've done my bit. <laughs> I, 
Honestly, my best song is Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. It is cute. I, I love that song. I think it's really nice. Mm-hmm. What's your skip song? The one that the mum and dad sing to each other. You and I. Yeah. I. It's cute. It's narrative. I like it. I wouldn't listen to it. So, I've put two. Under the Bamboo Tree. Fine. Yeah. It goes without saying, in 2020, that's a song I don't want to hear again. Mm-hmm. I also put Meet Me in St. Louis. Fair enough. Didn't care for it. Mm-hmm. Which role would you want to play in this one? Maybe Rose. Yeah. I kind of love her because she's just a. She can be so snide sometimes, and I really like that. So, I didn't know that they were the Smiths. Right. I I didn't pick up on the name, so I said I want to be Mr. Banks. Oh, you just called him Mr. Banks. Fair enough. Same <sighs> character. Yeah. That I, exactly. This feels like it's got very much the same trajectory of saving Mr. Banks. That mm-hmm. the father has to have some kind of redemption moment where he realizes, like Mary Poppins, that maybe he's gone too far one way. Yeah, he's and not he's actually considering work. his family. Yeah, he's at least with this character, with Mr. Yeah. Smith, everything he's doing, he knows it's for his family, mm-hmm. and I think he's lost that along the way, and he doesn't need the same redemption that Mr. Banks needs, but. It is the same character. But I, I'd quite like to play him. Yeah, fair enough. I gave this one three stars. Mm, okay. So well, lowest one for a while. Yeah. I liked it. Mm-hmm. I don't think I need to see it again. Yeah. I don't think it's changed my life. I think it's very well done. I was dreading a lot more. And I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would. Yeah. I just think at the end of the day, I need more from my storytelling. I've been spoiled by like modern film telling, you know, and, and modern storytelling and modern films that Fair enough. I need, I need much more at stake. And I, I would argue that the, the biggest issue in this is they're moving to New York and nothing's ever really done with it. They mention it and then we cut to a month later, like a week before they move. There's no kind of trying to change your mind. It's just like the only obstacle they have to overcome. Yeah, I think that's so contextual to the times, though, because even exactly. you're just, you could, literally, what are you going to do? You can't argue with him. Yeah, and this is the thing. I don't mind it. Obviously, mm-hmm. I'm here saying that that's, for me, this isn't my sort of story. Yeah. But I still liked it. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a really good film. I think it doesn't have the same beats of story that I like from my my, my, my stories. Mm-hmm. But I enjoyed it. I think the songs are good. Yeah. You know, I'd say the highlights are certainly Clang, 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 Went the Trolley and Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Yeah. I think the rest of them, I don't know what else I would add to a playlist. Fair you enough. know, but when you have somebody the calibre of Judy Garland singing... You're going to enjoy them. And I think they've done a really good job. And I I think every person in this does a really good job bringing these characters to life. And I've made the comparison already to Little Women. It does feel it's just we're just watching life. Yeah, I like that, though. Yeah, and I I like that, too. And I enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. But I would say what stops it being like four or five stars is it's not something I would go back and watch again. 
this isn't going to be a Christmas classic for me. This isn't going to be something I look forward to watching every Christmas. Yeah. But That's next fair. week, we might have one that does become a Christmas classic for us. Yes. Because we are going to a brand new film. Mm-hmm. Neither one of us has seen it unless you've sneakily watched it. I was really tempted to, but yes. I didn't. I've saved it. I like Dolly Parton. Yep. I like Christine Baranski. Yep. I like Netflix. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My biggest question going into this one. Yeah. How will this play into the Netflix Christmas cinematic universe? Yeah. Will Christmas Prince be referenced? Mm -hmm. Will Christmas Switch be referenced? Mm -hmm. Will Night Before Christmas be referenced? Yeah. Because we've been having a great time watching all of those movies because they all reference each other. I'm I'm very excited for that one, I have to say. Mm -hmm. I, I really... Really need Dolly Parton to save Christmas. Well, she's done the most work of 2020, so she might as well save Christmas too. Excellent. Yep. So that's next week's viewing. We will be heading down to Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square. Yes, indeed. And I'm very excited. Yes, me too. I think we all need a little bit more Dolly Parton in our lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So as always, you can let us know your thoughts on Twitter and on Instagram at it's a musical pod. Have you already seen Christmas on the Square? It has been out for a while now, so perhaps you've had a chance to watch it. Mm-hmm. Let us know your thoughts. DM us, private message us, or just tweet us your thoughts and we will discuss them next week. Yeah. Are you a fan? Are you not a fan? What did you think about Meet Me in St. Louis? Does it hold up? Have you watched it for the first time like me? And a little bit like, mm, it's good won't become part of my my christmas playlist yeah fair enough where can people find us you can listen to us every musical monday on apple podcasts on Mm -hmm. spotify on google podcasts on stitcher on amazon music and on podbean and if you like the show you can help make it happen by keeping us caffeinated by buymeacoffee.com forward slash it's a musical pod i'm very excited for next week's show me too i feel like it will be the most traditionally christmas episode we've done so far because this one christmas is a big plot point but Mm. i mean that could have been thanksgiving sure and obviously anna and the apocalypse was amazing and very very christmasy but not your traditional christmas fair yeah i feel like we're finally getting to traditional christmas yes from what excited. I've heard about this, we're getting a very traditional Christmas from this one. I'm very excited. Yeah. I can't wait. <laughs> and hopefully you will be just as excited as we are. <laughs> so until next week, we will see you same bat place, same bat channel. Have a magical musical Monday. <laughs>